0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comic's Comic, found wherever you can type The Comic's Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Jermaine Fowler, who was supposed to get his big break in 2012, as part of a much ballyhooed reboot of Fox's seminal sketch comedy series, In Loving Color. But Fowler and the new comedy friends he made there made the most of their experience, regrouping and eventually succeeding as Friends of the People for two seasons on True TV. Fowler is now working on a new deal with CBS that includes developing a sitcom based on his life and a stand up special, his first, which debuts this December on Showtime. It's called Give Him Hell, Kid, and Jermaine talked to me about it, his trouble making ways the lengths he went to pursue his comedy dreams, and what it's like to have Whoopi Goldberg as your TV grandmother. So let's get to it! So Jermaine Fowler. Hey, man. Thanks for being on the show.
1: No, thanks for having me on the uh, show. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: So last things first. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your Showtime special, Give Him Hell, Kid. Yes. Reveals yourself to be quite the troublemaker. I was very mischievous when I was a kid, yeah. What was the last prank you pulled on somebody?
1: Oh, very recently, uh, one of my cast members, uh, Kevin Barnett on Friends of the People. um, It was really the prank on Josh Rabinowitz. He's the other cast member on the show where I pretty much hacked his email and emailed a lot of people from his email, Mm -hmm. just fucked up shit. And one thing I remember vividly was I emailed Kevin with the subject line, nigger back. And, and the message I wrote, you black fuck. <laughs> so that whole night, Kevin pretended, Kevin knew it was me, period. But Kevin pretended like he just believed Josh was a racist, right? Right, because Josh is a very furious. Josh is very, sort. yeah, and he, oh, he's one of those guys. Josh <laughs> is extremely hateful. And so, you know. Josh is like, dude, I don't know why you would believe I'm a racist and, like, you don't think Jermaine would have something to do with this, right? And so Kevin's playing along. I'm with Kevin, too. Me and L- we're just laughing about how, you know, stressed out Josh is getting. So at one point, we even asked uh, the showrunner of Friends of the People to get in on it mm-hmm. and, you know, just, you know, tell Josh it's not right to, like, be racist, you know, and just to just say sorry and just, like, it's not cool. And so Josh is calling me up, like, Jermaine, tell him the truth, man. I didn't answer my phone. He'd leave me right. messages Jermaine. You, you you gotta tell Kevin the truth. I'm not a racist. <laughs> and so Ke- Josh is about to go on stage at the New- uh, at the standup New York club or whatever. And I I, I finally told him, yo, I okay, me- Kevin knows it was me. We're fucking with you. Right. Sorry about that. And Josh literally was just just dumbfounded about how like evil people can be because it's so sensitive nowadays about the whole like you know people are fucked up. You know, racism and just evil these days. And yeah. Josh would not be put in that category. So. He was almost gonna cry. I think I still have all the old, te- the old voice messages he gave me, but that was the last uh, prank. I love racist pranks. They're my favorite ones, you know. So right, I yeah. I mean, you talk bit.
0: about at least one on the on oh the yeah, special.
1: yeah. My buddy Will, I uh, yeah. made people believe uh, he was uh, yelled out racist shit to people on the street.
0: But the thing about the special that's interesting is that after the jokes, you cut to interview with. My family with the, and friends, the family and, and, the, yeah, friends and family. the subjects of the jokes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, uh, cause after every show, I got sick of people telling me, "Uh, that's not true. Mm-hmm. That can't be true. Your mom and dad didn't do that. Your brother never said that." You know, and I got sick of it, cause I'm like, it is very true," and I just wanted to like shut people up. So I was like, I've always loved, you know, interview formats. After you know, certain stand-up jokes. Uh, I believe uh, "Live at the Purple Onion" by Zach Alphanakis was a big influence on this. Um, I love that special so fucking much and uh, I wanted it to be real people so uh, yeah I got my mom, I got my brother, I got my buddy Joe, I got got so many people who were part of my life growing up to talk about me and really give their own two cents about what these fucking jokes are about. And it meant a lot to me, so I'm glad they were part of it, you know? So they, all these people have something to do with my life.
0: Do you feel like any of them held back at all? Because they knew that it was on camera and they didn't want to... Oh, why
1: not? Yeah, you're supposed to at first, but like it was up to me and the director to make me feel comfortable mm-hmm. and tell them, you know, trust us. This is, you're not going to look bad. I, I won't look bad. You know, just, just be honest, you know? And yeah. so my, the only person that wasn't holding anything back was definitely my mother. She's a brutally honest person. Hilariously, just charm. I love her. I, I think she was like the main woman that was like, you know, really. I think I, she had, she had one of my favorite interview segments. But my buddy Joe was so honest about the, the Quiznos robbery yeah. that we had to bleep out some shit that Quiznos might sue us for. Uh, of course, so we did. Okay. And uh, Joe and that 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 you know was uh, was great and bad at the same time because you know we we can't say we can't be too honest, you know. So we uh <coughs> excuse me. So yeah, the, everything that people talk about in the interviews is, is 100% true and real. I didn't tell them to say anything, I didn't give them any blurbs, I didn't give them anything to say. I just sat down on the carpets usually, and they were filming in the house, I was sitting out behind the camera on my butt on the carpet, mm-hmm. listening to either my mom or my aunts or my grandma or whoever was a part of the, uh, the interview, either just tell them really what they thought of me and what they think of me now and you know, just whatever, it was all raw. But.
0: But did, they, did any of them, or even yourself, think that this is where you'd be now? Uh, doing stand-up specials, TV, multiple TV shows?
1: Well, I, I knew I would be. I, I, really? I, yeah. Well, when I was in 11th, 12th grade, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew at first, uh, I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was like 11 years old. Okay. But like, when I was 17, I was very serious about stand-up. So when I was turning 18, I was like, let's really do it. So I wanted to do, do, do use stand-up to catapult an acting career. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that in Maryland. So I did comedy for a year and a half in Maryland saved up money, moved to New York to do both, sketches and, you know, try some improv and, you know, do stand-up. And I did it. And I, I knew when I was 18 how I wanted to do a special because I've always been into films before I got into stand-up at all. Okay. I've always been into cinema. So I knew how I wanted to shoot it really, really early. And I, I pitched this idea for this special three years ago to uh, a lot of companies and they didn't, they didn't understand it. And again, not, not to their, you know, discredit, I, I, it's hard to... Under it's hard to garner what I, what right. I want to do because it's a lot to take in. The music. The did you
0: show him uh, which one of Kevin Hart's films was it when he broke? He did a uh, oh, this kind of format where he. Seriously funny
1: or uh, laughing at My pain? Laugh at my pain. I think that might have been it. Yeah. Um, no. Where
0: he broke from the arena. Yeah, show yeah, to yeah. like talking to Keith Robinson, yeah, yeah, yeah. talking to his family. Yeah,
1: uh, I didn't. Um, I don't think that was out at the time. Okay, that was probably out a year after I pitched it. Okay, so all I could tell people was like watch uh, 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 Zach Galifianakis' Purple mm-hmm. Onion, and that's such an obscure special that, you know, and it's a great special, it's one of my favorites. But like people didn't really understand why I would wanna, you know, do something like that, you know. And uh, I knew why, but they didn't understand why. Again, it's hard to really talk about comedy for people who aren't comedians and don't have a creative type of, you know, suits who right. just don't, you know, really see what you see. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, it's, things get lost in translation. So, I said, fuck it. I want to shoot it myself and I just got the money together and knew how I wanted to make it look and how I wanted to make it sound and how I wanted to package it. So, I did it myself and, yeah.
0: Was Zach uh, Galifianakis the first comedian who inspired you? No. Or just the f- that special? It, just a special. Okay, the, who, first, yeah, the first
1: person that ever inspired me uh, as a just to really be funny, because yeah, put the
0: idea in your head. Who was the first? Yeah, it was
1: Mike Epps. It was Mike Epps because like I remember watching, uh, next Friday, mm-hmm. and going, oh man, this dude's just funny. And I didn't know he was a stand-up, so I watched some of his stuff on Def Comedy Jam. And I went backwards because like, I got into comedy like real. I got into like, there was no. Chronological order for me to get into comedy because I got into it late, so like I got I went backwards. Right. I, I was inspired by Mike Epps, and then it was Martin, and then it was uh you know Eddie Griffin and then it was you know uh, Dave Chappelle and then it was I went backwards and uh, uh, Eddie Murphy and then Richard Pryor and Red Fox and and Moms Mabley all that all those people but I went backwards. So um, Eddie Murphy was the reason I decided to pursue comedy like as a career, you know? Right. Um, well, Mike Apps. Huh?
0: Before that, you were thinking just acting or, yes, or filmmaking. Yeah, I
1: just wanted to act. Mm-hmm. I, at first, I wanted to be a director because the movie *The Rock*. Like, okay. I wanted to make movies, and I used to write movies when I was a kid and direct them with my video camera. My grandma what, got me for what Christmas. What was the first
0: movie that you made? When I you wrote were a, kid. a
1: sequel to *The Rock* when I was like twelve, eleven years old. Okay, and uh, it was a sequel to. They go back to Alcatraz and they kick my ass. You know, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was stupid, but I was very proud why, of it. Why,
0: would they, why did they go back? I was, was 12, there motiva- I don't
1: fucking know. But you like, it was it you, was just you literally didn't give them a motivation. I, didn't give them, I had no motivation, no exposition, nothing. It was just it was cool to go back to prison. Uh-huh. So I thought that was fun. And okay. It was in a binder that I lost. Oh, and so it, we
0: couldn't make it now. You can't
1: make it. Someone probably stole it. I don't know. Um, that I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was younger, up to like probably tenth grade. I used to have cameras and film sketches and short films with my buddies back in Maryland, and then. I got into uh, stand up at like in 12th grade. I, I did a uh, this uh, showcase uh, judging like talent show, and at I, the, at the school At or the school else? at okay. uh, Northwestern High School. Northwestern is where I did it, and I bombed. I ate a dick. The judges hated me. I did jokes about period commercials. They were all female judges. They didn't think it was funny. I thought it was great, and so they were your
0: own jokes though.
1: They were mine. Yeah, yeah. I fucking, yeah like most people new people do uh, people's jokes. They see on right. TV, but I know I wrote this shit. Okay. I was original, and <laughs> no, I uh, I was. You know, I was bombing for like six months, but like what kept me doing it is like my peers, and they keep doing it. You don't have nowhere else to go or do. You know, you're going to work at Quiznos or just dry cleaners your whole life. So I kept doing it, you know, but like uh, the comedians who got me into it were definitely uh, Eddie Murphy and Martin. And then, you know, when I got into comedy, the, the DC comedy scene, like Roy Scoville and Aparna and like, um, Seen Smith, those guys in Hampton. They would always tell me to listen to this or watch this. So I got into like uh, the the cringe humor guys, and I got into Zach Galifianakis's special. I got into Russ Eve and a, you know a, a Pete not, not Pete Kuriali, uh Steve Burns is like uh, one of his documentaries or whatever. And so what up? That's a list. And so um, yeah, I just got into comedy. So so in such a weird time in my life, but I was reluctant because like it was it was such a boom in New York. Patrice was still alive, and, like, Brill Burr was killing it, and, like, they were still underground, but, like, they, were, they had albums that were amazing, and, right. you know, and the, the roasts, I would go on CringeHumor.net and just absorb all the hate that they would just spew out at each other. And.
0: While you were in D.C.?
1: While I was in D.C., yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the D.C. scene was... They were, they were animals, man. They were great writers there, and that's where I learned, really, my, how to fucking really just punch a joke up.
0: What was, what was your first bit that... That, pr- that proved to you that, oh, this is going to work out.
1: There was a homeless bit I used to do that would murder, I would open up with. Uh-huh. And it was like after six months after I was bombing so bad. So the sixth month, I got a bunch of homeless jokes. In D.C., you know, there was a homeless problem. But, you know, they would like go in the... T- in D.C., you had to pay to leave the trains. You know, like right. not in New York where it's like a lump fee, like where you have to pay all of it up front and then go right or anywhere you want to go, you know. But in DC, you got to pay to leave. <laughs> so yeah, I used to do a joke about how um, some this homeless guy would come up to me and he was like, Hey man, can I get some change? I'm like, No, I don't have any change. And uh, I, he was like, I was like, How'd you get in this train if you don't have any money? And he said, Well, I've been on this train for 12 years. <laughs> And it literally it was the stupidest joke I've ever written. Uh-huh. And it murdered every time. My buddy Herbie Gill, he loved it so much. Like, the joke was so good that people would, like, it was like a legend. Like, this homeless, this dude's homeless jokes are just murdering in D.C. <laughs> so Justin Schlegel told Herbie and Herbie told his friend. And it was like, I finally kind of got, like, some heat because <laughs> I'm a homeless material. Like... My favorite shit to write were just homeless jokes. Were mm-hmm. just homeless jokes. And then I met Whoopi Goldberg, and it was like, she kind of, <laughs> <laughs> she, she grew up in like the, yeah. you know, and those uh, homeless shelters and stuff. And really respected those people and like made me feel shitty about the fact that, you know, homelessness is not funny, you know. Right. So, right now, Liz is throwing middle fingers at me. Is that funny while I'm doing a podcast? <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, um, so. Did
0: you, did you do yeah. any road work when you were in D.C.? No. no.
1: I Well, yeah, well. Not at first, cause like I was still young, so like I would like, I would I would call clubs and lie to them about like my credits. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know I did a I opened up for uh, Tony Woods, which isn't true. Tony just did a show, with a showcase show that he just popped in on, and I just lied to people like just to get on. I would right. just I would the big the, the I think the most the, the the fondest memory I have about doing road gigs was cold calling on every Tuesday. That's when I knew they were booking. Every Tuesday, the Pittsburgh Funny Bone. No, the Pittsburgh Improv. It was the Improv. And I knew Patrice O'Neal was headlining it, right? Okay. I love Patrice O'Neal. Like, to this day, you know, his... Elephant in the Room is one of the best specials of all time. And Yeah, yeah, man. And so I just wanted to open up for him. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know where I was going to stay. I just needed to open up for Patrice after probably the fifth time of me calling this club, my girlfriend at the time, she was driving the car. I finally got the call. Hey, Jermaine, you're available Uh, Wednesday or Thursday to Sunday to open up for Trees? I go, yeah. (laughs) You know, we're only paying you this amount of money and we can't travel. You're like, oh, I don't care. I'll do it. And so, like, I would just, uh, I would just literally just, I just booked the train, the Amtrak train. I was tipping at the time, so after my tip job, I would just go on this train and just, I went on this train and just rode down to Pittsburgh, not knowing what I was going to stay or do, but I went right from the train station, walked three miles to the damn comedy club. I ain't, there was no Uber back then. It was just, <laughs> right. you know? It was 2006
0: or seven. And the club wasn't close to the downtown. The no, not at
1: all. Not, to, not next to the train station. I look like a drug dealer, man. I look like I just got off the train station <laughs> to deal Coke somewhere in Pittsburgh, man. I look fucking sketchy. So I'm sweating. <laughs> it was the summer, so I get to the, the, the club. I'm sweating. I got a backpack. I'm excited. I was not thinking about anything. I was excited. The show is in about three hours. I, I get ready to perform. Patrice shows up, and man, I so happy to see him. I was like, "Hey man, I'm Jermaine. I'm hosting. Great, cool man. Nice meeting." You. I'm like, "All right, dope. He's nice, man. You know." Yeah. And I bombed so bad. Like I ate a dick, and I, ate, I, I, I bombed so bad. I actually, I actually said this sentence. Well, you know, guys, we got Patrice on the night, so you know, don't you know? It's gonna be fun, you know. <laughs> I finished that set the feature goes on stage. I go to the green room. Patrice says, eh, maybe not mention... <laughs> maybe he's your bomb and may not, maybe not mention that who the headline is, you know, tonight. And I started laughing. I was like, listen, I know what to do. So he, he was funny. I loved him. The day. Of course he was funny. He was fucking yeah. Patrice, but he was beyond funny. Like, he every set was different. It was the same set, but he'd flip every joke around to make sure they were still strong. Like, he wouldn't close with this, he would open with this closer. He'd, you know, make sure every joke was strong enough that he can open with it or even close with it or middle with it, whatever. That's how fucking great he was. And I remember that night, first show, I know where I was going. I had no car or anything, right? right? I so I was wondering what, where he went. Exactly, so like, um, <laughs> after the show, Patrice, no, sorry. Big black SUV pulls up, right? And he rolls down, and Vaughn was there too. Vaughn Decala was there. Beautiful, okay. oh God, I love yeah. it. Anyway, rolls down the window, it's Patrice top hat or whatever he had on he goes <laughs> at, hey Jameen, you need a ride and I'm like um nah, nah. I didn't know I, I, I had the heart to tell him I didn't have anywhere to go Right. I didn't have the heart to tell him it was like fucking almost midnight I'm in this parking lot of this mall area or whatever I didn't know where to go right, so just three spoke. miles
0: from the train station yeah
1: right I didn't know what to do I, I, I think I was going to sleep at the train station and so he goes uh, Jermaine where you going you, you, uh, you, you need a ride or where you going I said no I'm good so I says, oh no I'm good I said, it's the stupidest thing you can tell anybody. You need help, man. But I didn't tell him the truth. I said, I'm good. And he says to me, eh, and rolls the window <laughs> up and drives the fuck off, right? And I'm like, ah, fuck. And so I literally just, I remember my buddy Bryson Turner, funny fucking comic. Oh yeah, yeah, Fucking hilarious. Uh, he, he, his brother lived in Pittsburgh. He's from Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, okay. Bryson. So I was like, yo, Bryson, I don't know where to go, man. You think, you know anybody here that I can, you know, stay with or anything? My brother can help you out. So fucking couch surfed on his brother's couch. You know who I was? He went to a, he went to the show too he had a good time or whatever, but like I had nowhere to go, man. Like it was like one of those, I was so hungry. I was I would literally do road shows not knowing where I would stay that night. I used to sleep in random places, man, and just cuz I was just like so I, I just I just wanted to work out so bad comedy that like I didn't really think about the consequences. And that's the beauty of being a 19-year-old, 18 year old kid doing comedy is like you don't give a fuck. And also, being a guy helps. You don't get raped. It's fine, you know what I mean? You don't really have to worry about yeah. that or anything. So well, far, so good. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty good. I haven't got raped yet. But it's like, literally just was like, I was 18, 19, didn't know the the real etiquette of how to call clubs up. So I would lie to them to get what I wanted and, you know, just make sure I just got there and I figured out on the way. That, and I still carry that, that mentality today. Like, yeah. I would, you know, I'll book shows and when I get to the venue, I'll Book the hotel next door, cause like I don't know, I don't, you know, I'm not. I, I, yeah, I can Google nearest hotel next to comedy club, but I'd rather be next to the club and really find out where the fuck it is. So, you know, I like. I'm a people person. I love walking. I'm a nomad. You know what I mean? I love walking and figuring things out as I go along. So that's why I love the Joker so much. He just, you know, figures things out as he goes. So you know, that's I still do that. At,
0: at what point did you know you were ready to move to New York?
1: It was funny, is like when I was not, when I was 18, starting. I was gonna move to New York first. I was my dad kicked me out of the house, and I was about 18 years old. I had nowhere else to go. I was gonna move to New York and just see if I can make it work from there. And it, my girlfriend at the time was like, "No, don't do it. I love you." I'm like, "All right, I'll stay in Maryland," but I was gonna do New York first, but I didn't. Uh, and that was probably for the better. I didn't want to be a you know I don't want to be a new comic in New York. That's fucking sucks. I can't even imagine that. So, I never not want to move to New York. When I was just literally sick of being in Maryland, you know, I was just sick of it. As a, as a person, I was just right. sick of, I, was, I grew up there, I don't wanna be there no more. And New York intrigued me so much from all the hip hop I loved and all the rap and all the movies I loved, you know, so. I can not tell you why or when, I just knew it was the right time and I just had the intuition, I just went with my gut. Went with it.
0: Now, I, I first got to know you uh, yeah. through John Mulaney. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get to know John Mulaney? I
1: stalked him on MySpace. <laughs> I, I knew him from the Invite Them Up or maybe Comedy Death Ray. It might have been Invite Them Up. Okay. I so think, it wasn't
0: from, from D.C. No,
1: he was in Georgetown. He was already yeah. in New York. He was already with Fifi, all the big places and shit, and he was murdering. And I knew him from – I knew of him from the D.C. scene, but, like, I, I knew his name. And this is just me. And I still do this. Like I'll, if I'm intrigued by someone I hear of, and even from the a comedian like an album, mm-hmm. from the comic to even like the sound engineer, I'll look the person up and I'll stalk them and I'll get information from them. I'm a big sponge, so I found John Melendez's information on MySpace. It was pretty big at the time. <laughs> I found him. I, he just gave me advice. You know, he just told me, hey, if you have three new minutes, go to a mic and do it. You know, don't be afraid of mics. You know, no one's better than the mic. Go to Mike's. Oh, I, gonna, I still go to Mike's. I'm like, awesome. So I, I, I still do that. I st- still do that. And it was the best advice I've ever gotten. And then um, I met him here with Dan Mintz. And Dan Mintz was awesome. I love those guys, man. And yeah, they
0: were working together on Dimitri I, Martin's show. I think show. they were,
1: yeah. Dan is a beast. I love Dan. He was very nice to me. And John didn't have to be nice to me. He didn't fucking know who I was. Neither did Dan, but I don't know. I was just, I was just happy to be in New York that I was... I know the etiquette of, like, you know, most comics when they get to New York are afraid to talk to bigger comics, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, all right, don't talk to John or don't talk to this guy, you know? I, I, I don't fucking care, you know? I just wanted to, I just wanted to be good. Like, I just wanted to be great. I wanted, I just knew that if I sponged up enough information from enough people that I could, you know, be pointing in the right direction to, be, to get better at comedy, and that's what I, you know, I just, I don't know. I was just, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just literally were just, like, just, go up to random people and just ask them questions and there's, there's nothing wrong about asking questions and John was nice enough to really just give me honest answers and right. feedback.
0: Uh, what was your last day job?
1: Hmm. Yo, my last day... Was it better than Quiznos? Everything was better than Quiznos. Everything <laughs> is better than Quiznos. Anything was better than Quiznos. That was the worst job I've ever had. Literally fucking terrible. But the worst... But the, I mean, last, I mean, the last job, the last job I've ever had... I think it was working. Oh yeah, it was. The, it was. I was working at uh, Dylan's Candy Bar. It was Dylan's Candy Bar in Midtown. Uh-huh. Okay, I was working there. What were you doing? I was selling fudge to children. I was selling fudge and candy, uh, uh, you know, gummy bears or whatever. It was. It was. Uh, Good it, uniforms. It, worst uniforms. They were terrible uniforms. I used to wear like Barbie shirts mm. as a man, as a grown fucking man, and had to pretend to be happy. Mm-hmm. Hey kids! Ugh. Anyway, like. I hated working there because, like, I knew I was fucking hilarious. I knew I was fucking funny. I knew who I was. I knew where I wanted to be. And all these fucking customers would come in, and all the time, these rich people in Midtown would come in and just keep swiping with these black metal like American Express cards. Right. And I would look at them like with jealousy, like, man, I fucking want that card. Like, I want not the card, but I just want. I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? I want to be buying this candy. <laughs> so one day, I finally got fed up. So on October 31st, 2009. Yeah, I think I fucking quit. I think I. You I put, quit a candy place on Halloween? I think I did. It was 29th, yeah. I think I did because okay. what I did was I put a knife in the fudge, put my hat on the knife, and fucking walked out. And it was apparently it was the most monumental moment in that whole like day shift because they were like, yo, you left Dylan's, nigga? And they would call me and like, yo, nigga. And they were fucking excited. It was a bunch of thug niggas that worked there or whatever. It was awesome. <laughs> and so the day manager called me, like, you. You won't get another job at the candy candy, t- the business of this town ever again. Like he was fucking mad. I make sure candy place will never hire you again. He was angry, and so <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> and that night, because at the time I was like doing comedy, but there was a podcast I wanted. Uh, there was a podcast I always wanted to make, and it was, I was inspired by Robot Chicken. But like, I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have like you know, animation connections mm-hmm. or like claymation connections. So I wanted to do like audio of it. So I want to do like an audio version of Robot Chicken, where okay, yeah, it's online. It's called Mass Destructo. It's my favorite podcast of all time. Uh, it literally is just me playing characters during episodes of these weird. Like, I don't want to. It's hard to explain. You remember that old like uh, World of Worlds, nineteen fifties radio, like yeah, yeah, Orson Welles. That scared yeah, Orson Welles. It was scared everybody. I wanted to do that, but like more like adult swimmy, like okay. fifteen. 12 minute episodes or whatever so I did that for like probably 20 episodes it's three hours worth of material online somewhere and I did that right after I quit and I just every day I would just go to my my room and just like I lived in a walk-in closet in Bushwick and it was so was the, that
0: Bryson Turner's place? no it
1: wasn't Bryson's it was that I
0: remember he lived somewhere like that that had like a room Oh, no I was looking for. Mine. I was looking for a place one time, and he showed me a room oh, in his God. place no, it's the worst. that had. No. <laughs> it was like a
1: closet. Yeah, it was. That was where they made mine, you know. And it was a uh-huh. living room. It was just the kitchen with rooms around it. And so I literally just do this podcast, and the room was small, but it was good for acoustics. And I was just like, do this fucking podcast every day, and it was the happiest I've ever been because it was like me just doing something independently that I've always wanted to do, which mm. is like this podcast. And I made a lot of friends, you know, who loved listening to it. I might bring it back, back actually. So. And it was the first time I realized, like, yo, I don't want to work anymore. I want to fucking do stand-up. So that was the last time I had, like, a, a day job. was.
0: What was your money situation like?
1: Man, I had no money. I had no money, but at the time I was, like... I was performing at the comic strip every okay. fucking night. And I, ma- I did the math. I was getting paid $400 a week. Oh, okay. My rent, yeah, my rent for that room was $400 a month. I knew if I could make... That much money, and I could keep it up, I could pay that rent, and on top of that, you know, go on the road and pay for, you know, clothes and food and any other mm-hmm. shit. So I was doing good. I was doing all right. So it worked out. The timing was great. So I didn't really, I was scared to quit the job because I wasn't sure math-wise how I would do with just doing comedy. I wasn't sure, but I got the balls to fucking quit, man. I just had to, just for my sanity. And um, I, yeah, it was, that was the last job I had, dark. Yeah. Now,
0: they say the third time's the charm. Uh huh. So, <laughs> pilot. So, pilot wise. But, but like, yeah, pilot wise. Yeah. But you got you this got this the
1: fifth time. Yeah, this is definitely the fifth time.
0: But you but like you had to live in Living Color first.
1: Now that was the first time I really talked to you. Living Color, uh, Jobs but, that don't suck. I got fired from that on MTV Two. Andrew Schultz took that over. That was a pilot, and it was ABC, Whoopee. This one's the fourth one, but there was one more. Yeah, oh, Comedy Central, five.
0: Yeah, but you got friends of the people in there.
1: Oh yeah, worked out. That definitely worked out. But yeah. like, I've, i technically I've had five or six failed pilots. The one that worked was friends of the people. So like, numbers right. wise, I've had one thing that worked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's still going, right? Friends of the people? No, it's two seasons. The third one's not happening. Hopefully, we get back together to do something. But everybody sort of branched out. Well, to I was, do like the I was,
0: I was gonna say it'd be so hard because Lil Rel and yeah. Drudge show. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. Josh and Kevin have a deal. Yeah. Do show. Yeah. Lucas um, brothers are doing stuff. brothers
1: are Yeah. Jen is working on something with ABC. Yeah. Everyone branched out. You know, I'm with CBS right now, development deal, working on something. So, you know, we're all like, we all use it as a launching pad and we're all grateful for it. It was fun doing that fucking show.
0: What did you learn from the, the first one, from In Living Color? I mean, because that, that's kind of the biggest one.
1: I learned like, it was the people first people don't one. know about
0: the other pilots no, that no 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 that was but the everybody one. knew about In Living Color yeah
1: yeah yeah because it's such a monumental show that first one was a doozy because it was my first big project I've ever done period yeah and like it was the first time I really was kind of behind the scenes watching something fall apart and like into ashes it was horrendous and that gave me like in, in a way gave me hope as to like you know you can be Keenan Ivory Wayne's and have something not go so it was like kind of humbling and mm-hmm. also mind opening and just kind of like you know like just like gave me like it made me want to produce shit because I didn't want to be an actor I don't want to be just be an actor it, it, to me it sucks to be just an actor on a project cause you don't really have any say in shit you're just reading words not that actors aren't talented or anything like that but like I prefer to like write the words I say or even like have control over the the, the, the scene or even like the, the casting or something you know so mm-hmm. I prefer that. So, like, after Living Color, I was like, you know, fuck it. Let's just, you know, let's make our own show. So, me, Rel, and Lucas Brothers, Jen and Josh and Kevin decided to pitch a sketch show to Comedy Central. It didn't work out, but, like, then that's where Friends of the People came from. Right. So, yeah, shit was dope. Um, but, like, Living Color was, like, the first thing I've ever done. And I, was, I remember, like, auditioning for that. It was only three years ago, it was a short time ago. Yeah, what was your audition like? Man, I murdered i murdered it. It was dope. Like it was literally, hey, is, it was literally. Did they do them
0: like they do SNL auditions, or wh- in like a secluded room or some shit? Yeah, where or they we ask did. you to do like a couple impressions and. I couple auditions. characters.
1: I did three auditions. One was in front of the producer Shawna Gar, mm-hmm. who literally is like, I owe her a lot. Like, she didn't have to. She didn't have to, you know, watch me or do anything. She could have just hired Brandon T Jackson. <laughs> 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 the truth. So like. And Brandon's funny as fuck. But the thing is, like, um, I, she watched me, loved me. I love the set, too. Man. I just did a bunch of stand-up jokes and some characters in between. Because I've always loved sketch, by the way, since, like, I was a kid doing the videos or whatever. So I literally did I did characters since I, I've been doing since I was 18 that I forgot about. Billy Karate and all this other shit. Like, I remember that. It was my favorite character. And I remember she said, Kina's going to come watch you at the pit. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not performing in front of Kenny and Ivy Wayans. There's no fucking way. Why the fuck would I do that? No, I'm not doing it. And It was raining that day and I was late. I'm late to, I'm late to everything, by the way. I'm not proud of it, but mm-hmm. I'm late to every audition. To this. Oh, yeah. I was already here. So <laughs> <laughs> I was already here. Uh, so that, that don't so count. thank you for that. Oh, you're very fucking welcome. I could have left. Um, <laughs> so, like, Kenny was there. I, almost, I turned it down at first, but my manager talked me into it. I said, do it. I was like, I'll do it, but I ain't gonna expect shit from it because, you know... Why would they pick me? I know I'm great, but like I'm not like, no, you know, you know, mm. they had that fucking stupid second thinking shit comics have. And so, uh, I literally got on. I was late. Got on stage late. I think I got there and they were calling my name up, so I wasn't even ready. I fucking killed that shit, and it was really good. And uh, you know, Keenan was like, uh, Keenan was like, you know, I'm not gonna say what he said, but he was very complimentary. Gave me like one of the nicest compliments I've ever heard, you know. And then I, I, next thing I remember, I was like, at the at the at the, oh man, I remember I was at the um, the creek in the cave, and Rebecca and my manager they booked me for like, you know, at the end, to, to close out a stand-up comedy show. Mm-hmm. And it, I was nervous as fuck because there's a bunch of, you know, the creek is like a comics comics venue and yeah, like yeah. you know they don't, you you know they don't really laugh unless you do a comic-friendly joke. So <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna do a character set, they're going to fucking hate it. I, I, you know, And I did it. Will Simmons was there and I was happy he was there. He's like a really supportive person. I love yeah. that fucker. And he literally was watching me and laughing. I'm like, this is funny. I trust Will. And um, I, did a, I, did like a, I did my impression of a baby surviving an abortion. That's not supposed to be funny. But it, that was like the funniest thing I did that night. And I remember I was like, alright, I'm ready. Let's go to LA. And I went to LA and I remember Danny Jollis was like there and helped me out do a sketch and yeah, I killed it, man. It was great. And, like, the, the, even the, one of the first writers of 11, the first season, Living Color Writer was there and laughing. And I'm like, yo, this is dope. So I booked it, you know. I booked it. And a lot of, like, L.A. writers that, that were there uh, that I respected and knew of, that never not really met. James Davis and Hugh fucking Moore and, like, oh, yeah. Ian, Ian Edwards and Amara. And, like, even one of the ladies who writes on, who no, no, she directs uh, Broad City fuck, she's going to hate me. I forgot her name. She was fucking great. Either way, um, uh, it was like one of the first and best experiences I've ever had. And it's still kind of, it's still kind of like, affects me today, you know? Because I, you know, doing it, I know not what to do when you make a pilot and what to do when you make a pilot. Not that I'm shitting on it, it's just, you know, things happen that are bad in Hollywood. It's, it happens more than they're good, you know? So.
0: How would you compare that situation with uh, Dolores and Jim... Germ- Jermaine, which oh, happened man. this past year. Oh, are two year. different things. One yeah. is a
1: sketch show. That's an ensemble. This other show, I literally had control over. That was amazing. That we actually shot. That was a great pilot, a great script, that literally didn't go because of politics, ABC versus Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. That's literally what happened. And so I had nothing, I had nothing to do with that. So like, I felt like, you know, I felt kind of, you know, just What did your grandmother slighted. think? She loved it. Because <laughs>
0: she's, like, she's in your Showtime special. She's,
1: she, yes. <laughs> Dolores, my grandmother, who's the name of my company, is in the Showtime special. She, she opens for me. <laughs> she's an opener. Yeah. She introduces, introduces me on stage and like, you know, she's the reason I do stand-up, by the way. She didn't inspire me, but she motivated me to like, f- figure life out and that it's okay to go chase your dreams. She the reason why I got into Red Fox and Mama's Mableys. So, she, yeah, she fucking, she's going to introduce me. And she did. So, it meant a lot to do with a show about her with Whoopi Goldberg playing my grandma get the fuck out of here it yeah. was awesome and so uh, it didn't go which you know most people after that experience they kind of fall off and give up and you know, really scarred after that shit you know I'm 20, 27 I don't give a fuck I'm gonna do it again so I've always wanted a sitcom show and I, CBS liked me and they liked the idea of me playing a parent
0: right so this time you're, you're playing your I'm dad. the parent yeah right. I got
1: sick of playing adolescent kids and shit <laughs> Cause I, you know, I get I'm young, but like I want to play. I wanna, I want to play an authority figure. So this show is about me, you know, inspired you, by my parents to raise kids.
0: But you cast yourself, and you didn't cast Lil Rel as your dad.
1: Nah, nah, I will though one day. I would cast Rel as my fucking when father. I, when
0: I saw your dad in the special, I thought of Lil Rel.
1: You should have. Cause <laughs> yes, you fucking should. Rel is an old soul who has the same. Rel, when we, when I make, when I, when me and Rel go go back and forth, uh-huh. just making fun of each other, or like if I get on his nerves, he. He, he yells shit out that my dad would say, and it fucks me up. So I'm like, yo, you can't say shit like that. <laughs> my dad would say that. And so Rel is Rel's an old soul, man. And, like, if he wasn't on a show, it would be so cool to have him play my dad. <laughs> if he could. If he could. If he had the greatest hair up and shit. But, like, that's my dad. You know, that's Rel. <laughs> uh,
0: so where is, the, where is the CBS show at at this it's, point?
1: It's in scripting phases right okay. now. So what I got to do is just write the script, make it funny. And if they want to shoot it, they shoot the pilot. It's, you know, very... It's, it means a lot to them. It means a lot to me. We want to make it the great a great show. Even though, if it, like if they don't shoot the pilot, I don't give a fuck. As long as the pilot script is great, you know, that's all I care about. I just want to be proud of the script. I want the script to be so good that it, that can be like, all right, let's shop it to Netflix. So let's shop it hmm. to Netflix. Uh, really Netflix. So yeah, <laughs> I love Netflix. I love those guys. Yeah. And so I, uh, I hope it works out. I think it will. I think it's funny so far. And if they don't water it down and, you know... Make it too networky and make it innovative, I, I think we'd have a great show on our hands, you know. So I, you know, I am very fucking proud of my buddy Gerard and what they're doing over there, you know. I, it's it's nice to see somebody my age range and my fucking generation of comedy like really make it work. And it took them almost three tries or three years to do this fucking show, and it inspired me to be like, let's keep going, you know. I love that motherfucker, man. That's my buddy.
0: Now, you say you you ask everybody for advice, sponging everybody. up, them. What's the last? great advice somebody's given you
1: it's probably between Chelsea Gerard and Jordan Uh, um, last bit of advice probably Keith Robinson I talk to him off and on all the fucking time Keith is one of the best comics ever to me I look at him and you're gonna watch a comic bombing or not he's great Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not that he ever bombs, really, but who gives a fuck? He's fucking Keith, you know? So, like, (laughs) I watch Keith, and I love love learning from him. And he told me, he inspired me to really just, like, just say stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. really say shit with your comedy and, like, you know, have a, have a, Keith, no matter what he's talking about, you can't say shit about it because he's passionate, you know? And we talk about that and like he really he, we, he gives me advice about like really just how to like cuz i get frustrated about like my subject matter cuz i sometimes i do get upset about like the you know comments we you know i'm not a complacent guy i don't like my jokes some nights i want to change him i want to eleva- i want to you know get better and i want to you know innovate shit you know I, you know i want to i don't know, i want to just evolve you know so like Keith's one of those guys that every time i talk to him he makes me want to get better and, and faster too cuz i'm an eager guy you know i'm very eager And so he tells me shit like, you know, just make sure you're saying shit, you know what I mean? Just say shit. Every joke, what's the message behind it? And it's not a message, how do you feel about it, you know? So he's that guy to me, like he's like, you know, I, I make sure I watch a Keith Robinson set, no matter what happens. This special is the shit, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, behind, uh, b- uh, back of the, the bus, funny bus is like the shit. So I'm happy. I was there when he fucking shot it. They made fun of my suit when I wore it. <laughs> anyway, like I love that man. So I think he gave me my favorite bit of advice, because I get a lot of industry advice, Right. and uh, that always helps me. But like the one thing I'm very passionate about is stand up. <laughs> Excuse me. And stand up is the reason why I got got this far. So the better I can get at stand up, you know, the more I can get, you know, T V and acting gigs and shit. So that's the main thing I'm worried about. So like Heath is like my guy I go to for stand up, like, you know, just my musing. So yeah.
0: <laughs> and when a seventeen or eighteen year old comes up to you and asks you for advice.
1: I'd be too modest about the shit. I don't know what to tell him.
0: Yeah, well So what would be the first thing you would say? I can
1: only tell him the things I did and the things that didn't work out and the things that will work out, you mm-hmm. know? I can only I can't give advice. I can only tell the person this is what happened, this is what I did. Yeah. Not sure if it worked out for you, but I was I'm a very tenacious person. If you believe in what you believe in, do it. Because no matter if it fails, you can always say, eh. I thought it was cool, you know what I mean? Like that's all you can do. Don't ever do anything for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you won't be happy. That's it.
0: Well, Jermaine, I, I appreciate you. And, oh, please. Uh, Thanks, man. And the, the fact that you give them hell, kid.
1: Oh, man, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> Thanks. Last Things First
0: This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Bruzel at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.